I do feel the younger generation is very passionate about doing good in general and attaching themselves to a cause or something bigger than themselves where there's meaning. It can't just be about you know, money or accumulation. I think they're a little um, maybe less materialistic. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Uh, good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest, uh, who will introduce himself. Uh, Johnny, please go ahead. Yeah, my name's Johnny Emmerman. Honored to be here with you, Maurice, and, and mm. love the work you do and for, for others and for those in poverty and, you know, finding innovative ways to, to help people so everybody can be included and everyone can grow. And so I sort of learned those lessons at a younger age uh, myself. Uh, my mom was amazing and it was always about, you got to volunteer, you got to volunteer. But I used to work in the corporate world and about, you know, just a few years out of college, um, got a corporate job. And when I was 26, I got diagnosed with advanced cancer and it changed my whole world mm. and my whole, what I wanted out of life in, in, in the world. And went through just advanced testicular cancer, chemo and surgeries, the better part of two years, so 26 to 28 years old. And I had the best mom. That was my brother right now, my business partner. We talk all the time. We're a very close family. I had a lot of love and family support, but I didn't know any other young people in the 20s who'd been through cancer. And none of my friends, they were great, but they didn't really understand what to, how to talk to me or what I was going through. It's just an isolating feeling, really. And so um, at the very end of chemo, a group of young survivors and I sort of randomly met at the cancer center, and we all became buddies. I'm sorry about that siren as well. <laughs> well, it's, it's clear to our listeners, Johnny lives in, in New York City. You can hear this that in the background, York. right? <laughs> it's authentic New York. That is true. It's, it's not that they're coming for you. So... Uh... <laughs> Because authentic New York. So a group of young survivors and I, Maurice, at the very end of treatment, we all started just, we met randomly. We started chatting. We all want to get back. We're all just so grateful to be alive and to get to live life past our 20s. And we all agreed that, hey, we met at the end of treatment. But what if we had met at the beginning of treatment? Wouldn't have that been so helpful? Because none of us knew survivors from the start. And that's when we're the most scared and most nervous, uncertain about the future. And so we all got together and said, let's build a community of survivors and we can share our stories one-on-one -on -one with somebody fighting the same thing. So we created this 501c3 nonprofit back in 05 and I moved from the Detroit area where I'm from, Chicago. And uh, we were very blessed. Within a year, we were on every radio station, every TV station in Chicago. Um, mm. They kind of looked at it and said, hey, here's a group of young survivors. 
are giving back. Let's get the word out for them so they can help more people who are sick and people can find them. And what it was, it's called Immerman Angels. So that's the logo right here on the hoodie. And who the angels are now, about 13,000 angels uh, in about 105 countries. Wow. Yeah. yeah, they're just great cancer survivors. Uh, I talked to one yesterday who beat uh, pancreatic cancer, which many of you may know is a really tough one. Some of them beat um, colon cancer, IV testicular cancer, someone else had bone cancer in the foot. But we built this comprehensive community of survivors that cover everything, basically. So we're the largest group in the world for what we do. And then when somebody is sick fighting cancer in New York at Sloan, in LA at City of Hope, in Austin at Dana-Farber, or in London or in Africa, anywhere in the world, they reach out to Interman Angels, they generally sign up online, we reach out to them or Zoom them, and then we pair them up with a survivor we already know who says, mm. been there, done that, and through it, and I'll tell you everything I know, and guess what, I'm living proof, I'm back in the gym, I'm doing long walks, I have a family, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm raising my kids, you know, there are these positive stories of success through cancer, but we got to line them up apples to apples. And that's what Immerman Angels is. We're going to find somebody when you have cancer, someone your age, your gender, who beat your cancer at your same stage level, who volunteers to say, I'm grateful and I want to help you. And you can do this. I did. Here's how I did this. And our friendship, but also the story. It's really a roadmap. Every mile in this marathon to the 26.2 when that person's going to finish. And I think that's the biggest fear of the people with cancer. We don't know. We don't know what's coming. It's the first time we've ever done it. And it's scary. It's a long road. And every foot ahead feels like you're doing it blindfolded. So um, that's what Amberman Angels does. Now, when we were scrappy in our 20s, Maurice, we came mm -hmm. up with this idea. Let's get the word out because we need to recruit more survivors. So we started getting t-shirts. Um, and we learned over time, mm. that we made black and white hoodies. We made t-shirts like this mm -hmm. uh, with our logo on it. We tried everything, but what we learned worked. Describe it, describe it for, because, you know, um, we will, this will be audio, right? So describe the t-shirts. Uh. Absolutely. So, so what we learned, oh, through the t-shirts is that if we made them black and white, and we made them really high quality and we dropped all the things that most nonprofits do, which we did do early and we stopped doing it, was putting on taglines and mission statements and company sponsors. If you put too much on the shirt, it becomes an advertisement and people simply won't wear it. And of course, if it's $2, not the nonprofit's fault, but if it's $2 and cheap, the nonprofit's trying to save money, they also won't wear it. There's so many ways for people not to like the shirt and wear it. And we made high quality stuff. We invested in our shirts. We used next level brand, an American brand, socially conscious brand as well. And we made it just black and white with just our logo, nothing else, black, back pretty much blank. And our friends were like, that's actually a cool shirt. And it mm -hmm. is comfortable and fits me well. And it's something I stand for and believe in. And I want to wear it at the gym or I'll wear it walking my dog or I'll wear it. And the more they started to wear it, the more the word got out and people sparked conversations. People would ask what it is or recognize it. And we started getting everything we needed. We got people that wanted, heard about us through someone wearing a shirt and they became a donor. 
Somebody else started volunteering. Somebody else knew a cancer survivor who joined us. And lo and behold, like that's what drove our awareness to drive our success. And today we have, you know, now we have 14 full-time, um, soon to be 14. I think we're 13. We're about to hire one more. Uh, budget about one million and a half a year. And we hired someone who runs the organization. So after that, Maurice, we launched something that we thought could scale for the marketing lessons learned on cooler swag that's high quality to help more nonprofits do the same thing. We wanted them to have the same success, but we needed a model which we created closed talk, CLOZ, talk like your clothes are talking for a good cause. We created a model that shields the nonprofit from all risk. It is, you know, they don't have to pay anything. They don't have to promote anything. They don't need tech designers. They don't need to bid out the vendors. They don't ever hold inventory. We basically created it in a way to help nonprofits make cooler swag that people actually wear so they can grow by getting the word out through ambassadors, rocking the logo, but being protected. And so what closed talk is, think of it as one site that's a directory where anyone can go to and they can search really easily by categories, like helping the homeless, food insecurity, arts nonprofits, whatever they want. And they, we have hundreds of nonprofits that we've vetted that are in our database in our community, and you can learn about them. Let's say you click on Feeding America, which is definitely one of our, our best known nonprofits. And if you click on Feeding America, we build them a page on our site. On one side is, of course, the mission first and a video about them. Maybe you just wanna to go to the website and donate. You can do all those things. But on the other side of the page is a Shopify store, an e-store where everything's made on demand, um, it's all, it's a 17 item Shopify store with Feeding America's logo, their hats, their track jackets, their hoodies, their polos, tank tops, even yoga pants we make. And so everything's quality. We've already done the vetting over so many years and we make them on demand and drop ship it. So our mission is to inspire people to realize that rocking a logo versus rocking a plain white shirt or a plain black tee it makes you a better person and it helps the cause mm. grow. And you're going to the gym anyway. You might as well rock something that means something mm. and talk about it. And someone might ask and you say, well, this is why I picked this cause as my favorite one. You're probably going to meet people connected at a deeper level, but help that cause get the word out. And that's really what our end mission is, Maurice, is, mm -hmm. is a world where people, it's cool and it's mainstream. Pick something you love. It's all quality. And um, we'll make it on demand and drop ship it to you. We're also just starting to go to companies that are group buying for their employees to empower mm -hmm. the people and let every employee choose their favorite cause from our vetted list of nonprofits. And then once a month, rather than Jeans Day, it's Foundation Friday. So everybody at the office is rocking their favorite nonprofit, connecting with each other, talking about why they love it, and helping to get the word out. So we think company partners is a lot of potential for us to get more nonprofit logos on more inspired wearers and helping every cause get the word out. Wow, great. That, that's great, uh, Johnny. I have, I have a couple of questions for you. Um, uh, yeah. First, a couple of questions about the company. So you were mentioning that, you know, uh, Close Talk is a 5013C. So, um, but you're selling, um, you know, 
t-shirts. So how how do you combine it? So and, good question, Maurice. Actually, to clarify, the Immerman Angels is a okay. 501c3 nonprofit. Uh -huh. five. There will always be one. It's a free service. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. We've been registered as the government with the government as a 501c3 since so five. I can't imagine that ever changing. We created Close Talk differently. So it's not okay. a 501c to be to be clear. We're a B Corp, which some mm -hmm. of you guys listening may know. A B Corp is sort of in the middle between a nonprofit and a company. It is a company, technically a company. Um, and you don't have volunteers, you don't have boards, you don't have fundraising, like it all that goes out. That's kind of the difference. Right. And so, you know, your 5013C. Um, how do you find there the, you know, the funds to do your work? So how do we raise funds for Emmerman Angels? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an evolution. Um, we were in our twenties and we started, we used to throw parties in Chicago. That was our yeah. thing, wearing shirts, getting people in a room. We were all younger. A lot of us, uh, you know, downtown Chicago, uh, we threw some parties that were 3000 people. Um, we have friends that had an auto dealership downtown and they would donate the entire space pro bono and we would throw fashion shows, you know, two, 3000 people multiple times. So we would get a lot of people in the room. We would charge 10, $15, make it cheap because we wanted to be inclusive. We wanted everyone to be a part of it. But when you get 3000 people in a room and you have four minutes to get on the microphone and tell them about the mission, do they know someone that's sick? If you do send them in. If you know as cancer survivor, send them in. That's how we did it. And everybody's wearing t-shirts at our events. That's how we raised funds and did branding. But we were always more focused on the branding side than the fun side. And um, as we've evolved, we've gotten older, we've sort of changed our funding strategy because now you know, we don't really want to throw these big parties anymore. It's a ton of work as much as we love the people. Um, a lot of our friends in our community are now our age. They're in the 40s and they have kids or they're married. and They're not going to come out to these big events as much anymore on a Sunday night, which, you know, we used to be able to draw 3000 people in Chicago on a Sunday night. Hmm. And so as we got older, we realized the needs of our community were also changing. And so we started getting more support from corporates and foundations that supported us and continue to support us. On groups like Pfizer is one of our biggest uh, supporters. Walgreens in Chicago is one of our biggest supporters. Um, a group called Patient Point out of Cincinnati um, does a lot of um, uh, tech, digital health tech, and they love what we're doing. So we found people that, that care about the same things we do in the health space um, and love what we're doing. Those companies or foundations support us. And we do much, much fewer events. Although the one big event we do every year which I love your 100 mile, Maurice. We do, mm -hmm. it's about 1,500 people. It's our big one of the year. And we do a 5K. And some people walk, some people run. It's in Chicago. That's really where our base is. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do that every year. That raises um, 100,000 plus in a day. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It gets people yeah. together. I've always loved the things that bring people together because mm -hmm. I feel like that's how you build community. And it's also an opportunity for branding. Whether you're giving a speech or wearing T-shirts, it's a way to always be thinking about branding, not just how do we fundraise. To me, branding is always more important than fundraising because branding leads fundraising. Hmm. If your brand is strong and people love your mission, eventually enough people out there will find you and fundraise and give you money, but 
they got to know what the mission is. They got to believe first. That's why we're hard believers in planning first. Great. Um, no, I, I, I think it's awesome uh, what are you doing. I, I told you um, when we talked the other day, you know, this is, cancer is really close to my heart. I lost my sister and my my dad uh, to it. And I have, you know, family members who are, who are yeah, fighting hard uh, against it. So I, I think it's awesome. My, my question to you is, is um, you know, you work with volunteers and, and uh, your volunteers are cancer survivors or people are also struggling with cancer and to, to give support to other uh, folks. Um, is that only going on in the US? How does that work? Yes, in terms of Emmerman Angels, we're mm -hmm. international. Um, we're really grateful and blessed to be the largest group in the world of global survivors who give back as mentors. Um, we're probably the biggest group of, you know, of all for any cause, but I know for sure for one-on-one -on -one support we are. Um, and you know, how it happened, Maurice, was very organic. And in the beginning, we said, let's own our backyard. Let's help everybody in the Midwest, Chicago, Michigan. That's where we're from. We found people we knew. Some people were sick, survivors. We got the word out again in the streets in Chicago. People at bars or restaurants or, or walking, you know, wearing our logo, sparking conversations, getting the word out. But then what happened is we got a phone call from someone in LA that said, hey, my cousin in Chicago knows about you guys. And I live in LA, but I have cancer. And can you help me? And we said, well, we can't say no. Of course, we're going to help you. Like, well, let's try matching that person in LA with somebody in Chicago we know who beat the same cancer. And let's see how it goes. And we learned right away that people didn't really care as much the location of where they were. You know, you, and then we learned, hey, someone in the Netherlands finds us and they're fighting you know, throat cancer, esophageal, and it's a guy who's 50. And if we can match him with somebody in New York who beat stage two esophageal cancer who's 55, who's willing to Zoom with them, Skype with them, email with them, call them, it doesn't matter worldwide. As long as they speak the same language, it's the easiest. But even when they don't speak the same language, country to country, we actually use a translator and we pay for that. It's part of our nonprofit cost. It's slower, but a translator can pop in and help the two go back and forth and connect. And things like Google Translate with emails now and stuff, it's just so easy. But yeah, it's a global network, not just the US, 105 countries so far. We have people and survivors in and anyone in the world, any cancer, you know, no one should fight alone. And there's survivors out there who do understand, who walk your same walk and do want to share and help you. And that's, that's really why we built it. So it, it sort of organically, Maurice, went global, starting just in our backyard because people heard about it outside of where we yeah. were. We had to try to help them. And luckily, it works. With modern-day technology, people can connect any two points in the world. Hmm. Great. That's awesome, uh, Tony. Um, well, you know that uh, I, I told you this this podcast started as a spin-off of, of the 100-mile walk that I started to do more than 10 years ago now to raise uh, awareness about hunger, poverty, and injustice. If you would be asked to walk 100 miles, you know, why would you walk? I, I think I know, but I'm, going to, I'm asking it anyway, Johnny. So why <laughs> would you walk 100 miles in a week? 
You know, I, I would do, I think, exactly what you do. My favorite part, it's been a little tough, obviously, during COVID because it's you, know, you can't be around people as much. My favorite part of Inverman Angels and definitely Close Talk is meeting the nonprofits we work with, meeting the team, listening to their mission, going to their office, seeing where they work every day, seeing sometimes the people that they serve. I mean, I, I, would, I would absolutely do what you do. I would walk and spend time in every one of their offices. Before COVID, we were building, you know, close talk. That's what we did. We would just bounce around and go to their offices, meet in person. Tell them we can build them a pro bono site. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And they give us a tour. I mean, it's the most fun part of our day is getting to know and connecting with the nonprofits and hearing from the inside how passionate they are about those they are serving. And, um, and then also seeing their space, like just getting a tour. And so um, that's where I would, that's what we used to do. We probably racked up tens and tens of miles. I don't know if we went to a hundred. Well, you did a hundred in a week. We would definitely probably do a hundred in a week, <laughs> not mm. a day, but a, but a week for sure. And, and that, that part, I hope after COVID things get better, we can do again. We can start visiting the nonprofits again and getting tours. And also we can make more meaningful introductions for the nonprofits. The more we understand about them, we're all partners and we work together. But when you actually see their space and walk their walk and get a tour, I can think of a group in Detroit called Arts and Scraps. And they have these warehouses where everything's donated to them, like scraps from construction yards or from somebody's house. And then people come in and buy it and turn it into art. It's a little serious, uh, similar here to another group that's on Closed Talk called uh, Materials for the Arts. It's in Queens. That's another great group that they're both partners. But you get tours of these spaces and you see what they're having. And art people are coming in and buying the art and turning it in. They're buying stuff and turning it into art. And, and getting a tour and watching the good happen right in front of your eyes. To me, that's as good of a walk as you're going to have anywhere. Great. Um, you know, when, when I walk with, with uh, you know, someone uh, during that 100-mile walk, we talk about uh, life, you know, what, what drives you, what's the purpose. Um, and, um, yeah, so what, what drives you, uh, Johnny? You know, I think once I got sick, Maurice, mm -hmm. I left the corporate world, like the big corporate commercial real estate world behind. I just didn't have the love or the passion for it. And I think I, I remember thinking at 27, 28, like, wouldn't it be amazing if I'd live to see my 30th birthday? I remember that you sort of never want to forget those feelings because it just makes you more grateful that every year past 30, you're like, this is just a bonus time. And I think that um, it gave me the courage. Don't think I would have had it courage to go start create social impact organizations getting sick gave me the courage to say hey you try it and try to make the world a better place and fail guess what you're not going to die it's not going to kill you and you've already been to a place that could have killed you so it sort of reset my whole passion on life and what i wanted out of life and i think it gave me a lot more gratitude and then once you start meeting the social impact people, just like yourself, Maurice, and see what they're doing and working on, and it's just the kind of people, the kind of friends, the kind of partners you want to be around. I just got sucked in right away. 
but I never looked back and I haven't worked for someone in like 20 years. And uh, I want to just continue building, to answer your question, building things and being a part of building things that truly solve social problems. Um, not to say it's easy because it's really hard. <laughs> it's not easy at all, but it's, I think to me, it's a more, more worthwhile life and it definitely makes me a lot happier. I mean, I can't even imagine mm. working in commercial real estate again mm. and trying to, you know, manage commercial properties or sell properties. It's just like, I just don't get the satisfaction from that anymore. No knock on people in that industry. It's just sort of my path and where I've been, mm -hmm. just the way I feel. And that's really what motivates me is being around people who also care about solving social problems, partnering and working with them innovatively to solve social problems. Of course, the big one we're trying to solve now is branding. There's so many great causes that people just never heard of, but they would support it. We truly believe they would get involved and support it if the right message and right cause reached the right person, but if they never hear about it, nothing good happens. We're trying to be that bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when, when, um, we, we, we talk about, you know, what drives you and, and, what's the purpose, uh, very often we talk about, you know, spirituality, religion, and then quickly, I, I don't know why, um, we start talking about the younger generation and, uh, you know, that they seems to some, some of my guests think, okay, they look differently. Uh, at religion, spirituality, or what drives them, and others say, no, it's not different. Uh, it's very similar, you know, but the way they express themselves, maybe it's different. If I ask you, you know, when you look in your community, right, that you work with, and you look at the younger generation, what do you see happening around uh, religion and spirituality? That's a great question, Maurice. I do feel the younger generation is very passionate about doing good in general and attaching themselves to a cause or something bigger than themselves where there's meaning. It can't just be about you know, money or accumulation. I think they're a little um, maybe less materialistic um, in one experiences and traveling and, and, and they care. In terms of, so social good, I feel like there's definitely a trend that's in the positive direction. It gives me a lot of hope that the next generations do care. These college kids, you know, they don't, they, they, they do want to attach to causes. They do want to believe that there's something in their life that's making a difference in other people's lives, which is beautiful. So I think we're going in the right direction there. In terms of religion and spirituality, I think there's an increase in the spirituality piece where it might not be attached to religion X. Or religion why mm -hmm. but it's more of like a meditative uh, maybe a touch of buddhism um, in some ways which i look at more as a, a way of thinking and less of religion um, sort of a philosophy um, but yeah, maybe you could you, know, you could argue of course it's a religion too but I, I see a little bit of increase in that but i will say i'm definitely biased because cancer survivors who've gone through these life-changing experience, which some of my most, a lot of my best friends are survivors, are involved with our cause, we work together to help people. 
So when you're friends with a lot of people who had near-death experiences, I sort of attract people like that. I have a ton of friends who are former addicts. Many of them were about that close to losing their life through addiction, drugs, alcohol, you name it. Um, but then they found spirituality. Cancer survivors overcoming cancer, finding spirituality, right? You go through this trauma. So we sort of attract people like that because we're sort of spiritual, I guess, mm -hmm. and uh, finding purpose and meaning in life. And so many of my friends have been through these crazy traumas, um, big time traumas, you got crazy, but like big time traumas. And um, so I'm around that more. So maybe to me, it feels like there's more of that um, because those are probably the people that I'm around most who are very spiritual, my purpose and meaning, you might not go to church or temple mm -hmm. or their mosque, you know, on a regular basis, but they meditate mm -hmm. and they um, are such believers in the power of the mind. They do yoga. They, they work out on a regular basis. They, they walk a lot, whatever it is to prime the mind. But to me, there's a lot, there's, a, there's an increase of spirituality, I, I feel. Um, you know, through through close talk, you try to support a lot of not-for-profits out there, right, to strengthen their brand. Um, and if you look at the website, actually, there are a lot of courses. So you see that, you know, there's a lot going on, uh, animals, poor people, you know, food. Um, so there seems to be a lot to worry about. Um, if I ask you, you know, what do you worry about most? Yeah, what is it? Um, I, I, they're all important. You're right. All these different causes are important. Um, I do love that instead of just helping people with cancer every day, which I will always love opening it up with closed talk, just like you said, now we're helping people who helping causes to help people or animals, well, people who are sick, people who, um, uh, or poor, like you said, food insecurity. My day now is helping, trying to help all these causes do more in so many different channels. So it's refreshing to me um, to be a part of all of it and see them all grow. I think they're all important, Maurice. They're really all equally important. I wouldn't say that anything's more important than, than others, but I think there's a way to help all of them grow. I think that the, the real key, what I get so, you know, sort of fixated on is how to match up the right cause efficiently that might be light bulb on for somebody with the right person that's predisposed for loving that cause. Because you might not be an animal person, that's okay, but you might love feeding America and solving food insecurity because maybe you were poor once and you grew up no food now but you never had dogs. That's fine. The next person, that's a great cause. The next person loves the animals and the thought of killing an animal for fur um, or for, you know, anything, any other reason you want to support an animal cause. But I think that there's so many causes out there that they just haven't reached the right people and the potential that's out there. If some people would just hear about it once, they would get involved. And if you scale the people getting involved and more and more do, I mean, what a better world we're going to have. We're just going to have more engaged people. And 
to close the answer to that question, there's some stat out there, and I want to be accurate with it, but I'm pretty sure this is accurate. Like the Chicago Marathon, I know, one of the biggest in the country, 45,000 people that run it every year. Like, guess how many people run for a cause? It's like it's 10% or less than 10%. It's not what people think. They think probably it's 90% because they see all these jerseys out there. You think you do, but actually only 10%. And we're like, how do we flip those numbers? How do we get more people involved with causes and care enough to say, I, I want to run, not just to run, but do it for something that means something for other people or animals or the environment. So I just think there's so much potential to get more people engaged mm. in the cause if the right one were able to reach them and the right community pulled them in, that they could just do more good. Yeah, can, can you tell a bit about how your company um, was affected by COVID, you know, in, in that period? And we are still there. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, so what did you have to do and to, to cope? Yeah, it's been hard, Maurice, no doubt about it. During COVID, was, was a two, it's been a rough two years on us. Mm -hmm. We kind of shifted from what we talked about earlier, like going into nonprofit offices, meeting with them, like probably our favorite part of what we did, getting to get to know them, see their space, connect on a human level, understand better, and then able in the field to make meaningful intros for them. And, and, and we know what they need. We've seen it. We've been there. And it's just, you never forget it once you walk through somebody's office and meet their team. It's just such a great experience. So that came to a screeching halt for, for safe reasons, of course. So um, COVID was really tough on that. I think mentally that was hard for my brother and me because we missed that a lot. Um, at the same time, we, we did the best we, we could. We shifted to Zoom and we've had some great Zoom with a lot of great nonprofits and built some great relationships that way. But we know the success for, for Close Talk is going to be the connection with the nonprofit. They have to understand, they have to know where they're partner, they have to know where a B Corp, they have to know that there's no skin in the game for them and still work with other vendors. They can make their own apparel. They literally don't do anything. They have nothing to lose. And so we need to make that clear, but it's a little harder to do in Zoom. It's always just the trust factor is higher when you're able to meet people in person. But it's been tough. And I think it's also been tougher on, on our sales too, because you don't have people in offices. And like, for example, we have one group out of Vegas who is buying our shirts on a regular basis for all of their their employees, it's a company, and they're also a B Corp actually. And then they wear their, you know, everyone has a different nonprofit shirt, but they wear them on a regular basis and they connect with each other, they talk about it. So it's people are back in the office. So that also has been a little more challenging to get company mm. partners with us who are group buying and letting their employees choose. Maybe some, some do it now a little bit. I think on Zooms and then before Zoom, everyone could wear a different shirt every mm -hmm. once a month on Friday. But I think it's better in person and the relationships are better. I think we all probably agree with that. You know, Johnny, I, I, music is really important uh, to me. So I always have questions about music as well. If I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song 
that best embodies who Johnny is, who you are, uh, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Uh, I'm definitely a music guy, I love music. Um, and I guess there's so many songs, just so many lyrics that are so inspirational. Um, but I just kind of love the energy and I try to work with this mindset. When I get stressed or I get like, feel just overwhelmed sometimes or we're not moving the ball as fast as we could with whether it was Zimmerman Angels or Close Talk, that, you know, Bob Marley, every little thing's going to be all right. Mm. Just like when I hear that song, it just takes me back to like this just peace, Zen centered place. Mm-hmm. Every little thing is going to be all right. And, you know, that's all just try to be good people, help others, help the environment, save the next animal, do whatever we can, but sort of just trust in the end. And maybe I attribute some of that to my cancer experience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can't fear death at a certain point and you can't fear failure, even though we all do, especially entrepreneurs. I mean, it, it creeps in my head too. And I try to push it out. And I try to remember songs like every little thing's going to be all right. Like, mm-hmm. Just trust, have some blind faith that you know, entrepreneurs, of course, need blind faith because you don't know it's going to work till it's actually working. And most of us fail within the first year or 80% of, uh, of organizations are gone in their first year. And so it takes a lot of faith. And that song kind of sticks with me. Every little thing's going to be all right. Just trust the system. And it's easier for me to trust the process when you're doing it for a social good. Like I think with Close Talk, if we wanted to make a ton of money, we would be working with companies and businesses that just want to pump out T-shirts and don't care maybe, you know, what, what's in the products, where they come from, or is it child labor, or are they working crazy hours per week? Like we, we bet all that stuff. And we only work with nonprofits. So it, it, it's more work, but it's so worth it. And it makes me feel that everything's going to be all right because you sort of trust that your, your purpose is in a channel that truly is positive and looks at everybody you touch and tries to just make the world better. I, I like that song a lot. So yeah, thanks for, for sharing that, uh, Johnny. Um, you know, my, my organization celebrated its 75th anniversary last year. And, and we also used that time to look back, you know, and, and what do we need to do now and, and in the future? What do we need to do better? And, and a big topic that came out was racial injustice. And we asked ourselves, you know, how did we do uh, as an NGO? Um, so my question to you is, if you look at the NGO sector as a whole, you know, at the 5013Cs, how do you think uh, this sector is doing around racial injustice? Big question, I know, but uh, and, one. And difficult to, to generalize, but I'm asking you the question anyway. <laughs> no, it's a great question, Maurice. You know, um, I think it's, I, I think we are on a good path. And uh, maybe again, that's the sort of blind optimism in me, but like, I truly, no, I don't, wouldn't call it blind. I, I, think, I think there's a reason to be optimistic. And I think we are on a good path with racial injustice. I think there's more talking about it and openness now than ever. And I think that's the first start. That's the start of real change is it has to be opened up and it has to be talked about. And it has to be discussed. 
before people see where the problems are. And clearly there's so many. And, um, and maybe that's one positive about the internet and communications that we can get the word out faster. We can get videos out faster, like the murder of George Floyd. You know, people can see what happens, right? Not just, oh, well, word of mouth. I didn't see it. I wasn't there. I don't know. Like that, that's proof for accountability. And I really do believe we're moving in a very good direction. I think there's a lot of nonprofits that are out there, um, sparked a lot of them who are tackling this problem. And it's wonderful. We need that. We need them. We need them working hard. So um, I really do think that we are getting better and we're shining the light on the problems more and we're talking about them more. The, the challenge to me is, is that I hope the divisions on the other side that maybe don't see it at all or don't want to see it, we got to find a way to bridge the two and all come together as Americans and, 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 and believe that, hey, we can do more together that, you know, you don't want to push the other side away too much. And I think what I've learned in my life is that that gradual change, as much as we want five steps ahead now, gradual, small step change as quickly as we can, but not too fast is going to be just the most effective in the end. And um, I, I think it is, I think we are getting better. And I think since George Floyd and COVID and all that happening, people being home and able to watch these videos, I do think that a lot of people for the first time see, wow, this stuff happens and we got to stop it. It doesn't matter if you're a white person or you're a black person or you're Asian or whatever, right? It doesn't matter where you're from. Like everyone sees that as, as wrong and a murder and things we need to get, we need to get better at. So, so I, I do think overall we are headed in a good direction, but it takes everybody getting involved in the fight and everybody speaking up for their values. You know, one thing I do is on my LinkedIn, I, I'm just very upfront about it. And I put my values up on my LinkedIn, like who I am and what I stand for. And my first word is anti-racist, mm. right? Because it's like, you just, if you're not part of fighting injustice and racial injustice, and if you're not, if you're not going to put it out there at all, then you're not, you're not, you're, you're, you're neutral. And we need people, I think, that are willing to put it out there and, um, and put that very straightforwardly and saying, this is a core value to me. That's my number one. And make it better, right? Not just be neutral. Because neutral, we're just going to stay where we are. Great, thanks. Um, um, you know, in, in equity and, and inequality is part of the seventeen sustainable development goals that the world has. You know, well, we chose as as a world, and we need to do something about those seventeen goals to make this world uh, a bit better. You know, goal number two: end hunger. Goal number one: end poverty. A goal number five uh, look at looks at gender. If I ask you, you know, name one of the SDGs, one of those global goals that you want the listeners to know about, you know, which one do you like to lift up? You know, that's a great question too. And the SDGs are incredible and so positive. And it's, I love that we're like made them tangible, made them, you know, six, they're very just clear, like all these goals and that. And Let's hold ourselves accountable. Um, the one I think we want to lift the best, the most, there's so many because our nonprofits are solving mm -hmm. basically all of them. Like we support nonprofits and every one of them 
are solving one of those problems, whether it's animals, the environment, food insecurity, poverty. So it's, it's, we love them all. If there's one that I probably get the most passionate about right mm -hmm. now as of today, it would probably be food insecurity. Mm -hmm. You know, when you hear um, that one in six children in this country uh, don't have food and they're going to bed at night and they are hungry. Um, I mean, how can you go to school? How can you learn? How can you graduate from school? How can you get a good job? How can you do anything well? It's also the piece of healthier food. I'm a huge believer in that, but I think it starts with just food in general. To me, that's just such a basic human need that unless we solve hunger in this country and beyond, you know, how are we gonna expect to have the next generation have equality and equity in the next generation? Everybody has an mm -hmm. opportunity um, to be great, to be successful. So, um, you know, I've become very close to the Feeding America people and maybe that's influenced me. They're great and I've learned so much about the mission. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but they're all important. I mean, all the SDGs are important, whether it's poverty or food insecurity or the environment. The environment, I would say, is right up there too for us because we found a way to get our shipping and our packaging 100% recyclable. We're not quite there yet with finding a super high quality t-shirt and track jacket or hoodie that is 100% organic from recycled. It's not fully sustainable yet, but it's mm. better than um, a lot of what else is out there. We've vetted them all. Mm -hmm. So we have more room to go there. I'm always thinking of ways mm. that we find products or how do we push our vendors who make these products that we're already with to just make them more sustainable. And make them able to be broken down, just like Patagonia. As you probably know, Patagonia is the original B Corp. Mm -hmm. And every time you get a Patagonia um, track jacket or hoodie or whatever jacket, once you know, you can always send it in and they make it 100% recyclable. They can break it down into pieces, they can reuse it. That to me is probably the second one food insecurity and then the environment. Great. I'm, I'm laughing because of all, all the New York sound, sounds behind you. Um, <laughs> Sorry New, York, all that. New York did, uh, really, you know, wanted to, to tell us and our listeners that uh, it's, it, it's alive and kicking. Yes. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, Johnny, you know, these, these conversations always go fast. I am at my last question, and that is any last message, invitation or question for the listeners from you? Well, Maurice, I love what you're doing, and I love what you do with CWS, and that you're, you know, taking a world perspective of how to solve poverty and how to make more innovative, you know, sustainable ways to help everybody have a way to have a great life and raise a family and afford to put a roof over their head. Um, so I love love the work that you're doing, and, and again, my favorite part of what I get to do in the social impact world, whether it's either one of our startups. Is meet great people like you and learn what you're doing. I always pick up something from every single person that works for a nonprofit or a B Corp and what they're working on and why, you know, what innovatively they're doing. Um, so I just, people like you fire me up, get me inspired. Uh, John Salzinger and um, Empowered Team in Brooklyn, that's another group that does the same thing. Every time I talk to them, 
I just get fired up about what they're solving. And what a small world the last time you and I chatted that you're friends with them and partners. And I think I just saw last night that they were posting about you and CWS and partnership. And I'm like, I just love that everybody who's really focused on doing good mm. is getting more and more connected. And to me, that's, that, that's my favorite part of what I get to do are the people who truly care and they want to work together and they want to collaborate and they want to do more good together. Um, you know, you don't really see that often in the corporate world. Um, mm -hmm. It's more of a competitive place, as we all know. So um, to me, that, that, that's what I love most about the social impact space and what we can all do being stronger together. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, as you know, I mean, I, that's what I hope that is happening with this podcast, right? Is connecting people, um, seeing where, you know, you have things in common and, and start talking with each other. And, and because I really believe if, if uh, you know, we focus on the dialogue, you know, that's the beginning of, of better understanding. And uh, you don't always have to agree, but uh, I think there is too much polarization going on in the world and we have to focus on what we can do together and start from there. So I, I, I applaud you for everything you do because you're clearly a, a connector as well and, you know, with both companies. So thanks a lot for, for your willingness to talk with me today and share your experience and, you know, stories with, uh, with me and the listeners. So thanks a lot, Johnny. Thank you so much, Maurice. Your good energy. Keep doing the great things you're doing. Great pivot during um, walks until podcasts. So love that you didn't let that stop you from doing nothing and, you know, doing something and creating the podcast. Honored and flattered to, to be on here with you. And, um, keep up the great work you're doing. I'm always here and, and uh, willing to help with anything I can. Great. Good luck. Thank you, buddy. You too. for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram <laughs>